this is uh, intelligentsia, civil lake, and all that. You know, you have, you go here in order, you choose some pastries, you stand here and wait for your coffee. It's what you expect from a coffee bar. And like James Hoffman said, it's, it's a fast food establishment. Albeit a good one, you'll get great coffee and great food, but it's still fast. You wait in line, you do your thing, and you wait over here. And if you want to ask a question, then there's that obstacle that we portray ourselves as something, someone very knowledgeable, and there seems to be a certain threshold if you want to talk to us. That's one of our main uh, obstacles, I think. We need to reach out. We need to be able to talk to you go back <laughs> we need to be able to talk to these guys we need to be able to talk to this guy well black jacket he's waiting for his copy i don't know if he wants to be talked to maybe not maybe they already asked him but we need to now you can go Thanks. we need to opt in and reach out and it's a really hard thing to do and we need a language to do it with um, it helps to make things ready for it, like you have a bar where you wait and there's someone standing there to help you, and some customers get there on their own. Some customers come up to you and say, what is that? What are you doing? <laughs> but there are a vast number of customers that we don't get to talk to, we don't get to tell or talk about or tell our story. And there's a chance to do that in that environment. It's just much harder. And we need to do it in certain steps. We're seen as a pretentious business, and rightfully so. We've been talking about what we're doing in a way that not everyone can relate to. We create expectations, but I think it's very important that we match our expectations. So what expectations do we create? Let's say a new customer comes in. What does he expect when he comes in to your coffee shop? What does he expect to taste in his cup? Very good answer. <laughs> I like my chops. <laughs> but this is very important. You come in, you ask, you ask, can I have a coffee? And you might even ask a follow-up question, how is your coffee? And you expect the answer, oh, it's good, or it's black, or it's dark. <laughs> And if you ask them a follow-up question, what kind of coffee would you like? They will answer you the way they expect you to want your answer. And many times that is, yeah, dark, yeah, yeah, very dark coffee, as dark as possible. Because they think that is what is cool in the coffee world. Or other things they might think is cool, as something pretty. Or, uh, the problem is there is, we can't really relate, we can't really talk to each other. Uh, so what do I say when you go up to me and ask, well, how's your coffee? This is my bit. <laughs> Bold and novelty mouthfeel, chocolatey sweetness, vibrant apple acidity, with notes of blackberries and molasses sugar. This is not, this is made up. This is not an actual coffee, but it could be. This could have been something I said. I'm making fun of myself here. <laughs> So what do you expect when you hear this? Or not necessarily you, but someone who's never encountered a specialty coffee shop before. They might expect this. 
Thanks. We can't deliver this. <laughs> There's chocolates or blackberries and apples. Like Dave Walsh once said, it's a dessert. It's a menu of desserts. They're expecting a cereal bowl with lots of fruits, sugar, chocolate, and apples. But what they might get is this. Mostly coffee. Something that's either sour or bitter, they're not sure. Something spicy. And then some unidentifiable objects. <laughs> This is new. We can, we can work with this. Everything here is, is new. They expected just the brown thing, but there's still something left. It's just to find the means to work with those things, small things, and make sure you tell them they are small things. Let's look at the description I gave again. There's a very descriptive description of mouthfeel, sweetness, and acidity, which are all three very difficult way and things to identify, yet alone to tell the difference from. You can say something has full body, but say it has a bold and velvety body, is more difficult to communicate. And the same goes for sweetness and acidity. When I say chocolatey sweetness and apple acidity, they're expecting you to taste like apples and chocolate. Well, that could be the case. There are more educated customers out there, of course. But that's a problem. I'd say notes of blackberries and molasses sugar, which are very specific taste descriptors, very far away from the something and the something. But if I said berries or fruit or caramelly, that might be easier for them to convey into the cup. But I wouldn't be too afraid to just say, first, more than anything, it's coffee. And there's a little bit of things in that coffee that makes it extra good. <laughs> and that's, that's a little bit of acidity and some berries, or something like that. This is explanation could be good if I was talking to Tim Stiles and he asked me, well, how is this coffee? It's vibrant. And he would more or less know what I meant. But it's not a good explanation to give to a customer as to why you should like this coffee. And that's what we want. Next slide, please. We need to relate, not educate. We need to be able to tell them something that they can find in their cup or find in their vocabulary rather than tell them, this is what you are getting. You're just not getting it. <laughs> you can do that next time, you know, when you want their trust first time you tell them something that matches their expectations. You also recommend them things you think they like, rather than what you like. Try to convey something that is not a personal objective. If they tell you, they ask for you what you like, you should try to answer more objectively and try to not talk too much about your personal preference. Seeing flavor and tasting in general is a personal matter. No, I don't, I don't like that, he likes that. It's something we should try to stay away from when communicating flavor. We should try to communicate the things that everyone thinks the same about. 
rather than communicating more personally. I think this reminds me of apple juice from my grandma's garden, <laughs> which is a real 2007 Freestone presentation. <laughs> Keep it real. Don't get anecdotal. Don't tell, you, uh, tell me about your experiences from the past. Don't tell me what this reminds you of. Not as a professional. As a customer, it's great. But you relate it to something, it's great. But as a professional flavor communicator, you should stay away from those kind of descriptors because they're your own and treasure them. That's good to have memories, but don't <laughs> use them to communicate better. <laughs> Use wide descriptors, we talked about this earlier. Don't necessarily go with blackberries unless that's really, really clear that it's blackberries. They didn't use it. But if it's something, if it's something very light, and you as a professional feel that all this is more towards blackberries, then still try to stay a little bit back. Maybe say darker berries or fruits or enzymatic flavors. <laughs> Maybe not that word. <laughs> Um, mimic the experience. Talk about how the coffee, when it hits your mouth, what feelings you get then, what happens when it stays there, what happens in the aftertaste. If you give them that step by step, then it's easy for them to get it as well in the cup. Tell them how to get the aftertaste. Define your descriptors. That sounds reasonable enough, but I would like to, you to go home and read on your coffee bags and take every descriptor and give me one sentence explaining what that is. I'm not, English is not my first language. It's even harder. Um, but you should, you should be able to know the descriptors you use. You should be able to convey them as easily as possible. And if you can't, Try to break it up into smaller, or try to make it less emotional, which is all, all, obviously a lot of times the case. Velvety, something that is a little bit hard to communicate in one sentence. It might be real, but it's just not very effective. Get numerical. Start saying, well, this is a seven acidity. This is a four acidity. Start comparing your different coffees. This is three points lower on the city scale than Dave Walsh's city scale. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, I think, is an important part of coffee critique as well, like we discussed earlier. If you can get numerical and tell exactly what it is that is different about this coffee and something that people can understand, then that's an easier way to explain how this coffee is different from that coffee. I want to finish off giving a little bit of love to I've been competing, this is my ninth consecutive year of competing in Norway. Never won. Never does particularly. <laughs> but what it always is, is you have a coffee, and it's, it's been a lot of debate, at least in Norway, how um, whether or not the competition is on point and still actual, and still relates to what we're doing. Because it's very espresso focused. And a lot of the hype, especially right now, is away from espresso. 
But what it still is, is you have a coffee, and you have to talk about it to four people who will sit there for 15 minutes and listen to you. And you have to make it interesting, and they will check if the cup matches what you say. Which is a great learning experience every time. Just why I do it every year. <laughs> descriptors and bags, you could invert that 95% of the coffee into the somethings. And it really annoys the shit out of me, because you buy a bag of coffee and it's like a challenge as opposed to an explanation. And I don't think it helps anybody. Now, I'm interested in Steve's uh, feedback on this as well, being a roaster, but I think, that the way, I think the way coffee should be described should change fundamentally. And I'm wondering what people think about that. I think it's I see it much more as a sales pitch than an actual description in many cases. And I also think that we get a little bit hung up in how we, when, who we communicate our descriptors to. Like we will talk to our baristas and we'll talk to the rose tree back and forth or we'll explain it in a very different form than being in a coffee bar and trying to sell a bag of coffee. And it's a, a different subject altogether, but I think in general where we're moving as is first for the coffee industry, and this is something more people than me have said this, this is not my original thought, but <laughs> it's, um, baristas tend to no longer be as big a part as the, as the public debates on specialty coffee. Like, there are more roasters, and there are more uh, shop owners, and less people who actually work bar that takes place in a discussion than it was four years ago or five years ago. And especially in Norway, I see this a lot. So I think as, a, as an answer to what we need to do to move on, I think we need those people who actually work bar four or five days a week to be a part of the discussion on hospitality, on descriptors, on how to communicate what they're doing, because they're doing a great job a lot. Colin did say I wasn't allowed to have any opinions today. Um, he said I was to get on stage and I was to smile nicely at the people and I gave you a list of opinions earlier. Yeah, I kind of, um, in answer to your question, Paul, about descriptions on bags, um, I hate the wine, wine analogy. Hate it with a passion, you know, but we're always linked with it. The one I kind of prefer and move towards is what more whiskey do. And if you've read a more whiskey descriptor, like from the Malt Whiskey Society or from a, a really good good whiskey, it will have those emotive flavour descriptions within it. And you know what, I'll drink the whiskey and occasionally I'll find one of them and I'll go, get in, because I'm great, because I don't know whiskey, I don't understand it. But if we're to present it in a way, we're saying that it confuses the consumer, that they don't understand, but it's also in a way that they do understand, because they've been given wine in that way in the past, and have understood they're not going to get every single descriptor in there. Um, I think it's important as well to not to work away from the descriptors that are very vague. I mean, I've seen some very, very like strange ones, and I've been accused of using strange ones, but in another way. So, like, I had a descriptor of like sunshine, 
And the sunshine tastes like it. It had this really bright, and, and, and I've started to cup a lot in colours. And like, I'll come to a coffee and I'll see a colour in the, in the cup, in this paper. Now, some people will get that, some people won't, and we shouldn't get too hung up on about it. We should be happy that we are finding things in there that are descriptors that we can share. And if I put that it has these things on, and I send it to Colin, and he puts it on bar, and he finds something completely different in it for his customers, that's great. But for my customers, they expect my descriptors. They expect it to be put in that way, um, and in that format, and it works. A quick follow-up, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, what if, only if you agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Rasmus, you never agree with me. We always argue. <laughs> no, just, you just give a description for some months. So if that was, if that were something, if you had a Steve Layton's descriptors dictionary on your website, and I could click there and search for sunlight, then that would solve the problem. I'll, 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 it would be a little bit. I do a video every week to show people those things. No, but I, I, I agree that it is yeah. it, the, the, the description. And again, it's because people become comfortable at some point that they understand what my, they are, or they go elsewhere and they'll buy from another roaster that puts brown stuff. That's that, that's fine too, you know. It's it. You have to you have to try and describe it in a way that you can try and convey the message across to the customer. Flavor is it's so difficult. It is. It is, it, it is an incredibly complex topic to, to talk about, and I, I admire you for doing it in twenty minutes because I'm sure you wanted to do it in twenty hours. But I think you, each roaster will have their own way of doing it. Each barista will have their own way of doing it, and there aren't any rights or wrong. I mean, one thing. I take from today. There is nothing that anybody said is right or, or wrong. There is nothing like this is the fact. Um, you know, some people may like an espresso that's pulled in ten seconds. Great. I, I hope they enjoy it and I hope they never become a customer of mine. But the fact is that they may enjoy that. Um, there aren't facts. There are opinions and yeah, absolutely. Not stop her ranting. I stop think ranting. That's it's, probably, it's probably a good thing to point out that. Um, like a lot of the customers that come to the shop and they find these descriptors there, they'll kind of like, it's, it's got a very small space to sell that particular copy because the bags are usually the same as the other space. And they do get, like we see people's feedback. I mean, there was one of the strawberries dipped in cow dung. In a good way. In a good way. But that's the bag. It's a, very, it's a slower medium than someone coming to me and saying, what does this coffee taste like? I go, sunshine, it tastes like sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> and Jamie, that's more natural. That's a bit more, yeah, exactly. A bit more uh, uh, Keith does a question, I believe. Uh, it's a question and a story. Uh, Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm one of those people. I, 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 see, I remember Steve's description of something, and I sort of appeared on Twitter about five minutes ago, and Steve, uh, what, uh, you know, what the hell is that? And we're getting it back like two days later and going, eh, eh, that's really good. Um, also, the guy who spent two hours sitting at your bar yesterday going, what the fuck am I tasting in that coffee? It's not on the bag. <laughs> That's still but, something, something. Yeah. yeah. And I spent two hours doing that, but the last two coffees I served to people were at a trade show. It worked for Marco. First guy walks up, um, can I get a coffee? Yeah, sure. Uh, this was when the was in the very. So I'm drinking this all morning. This is, this is really tasty and stuff. And this guy looks at me, sips the coffee, looks at me, sips the and he goes, Did you put something in this? <laughs> um, water? And it tastes like you like put loads of syrup in it. Uh, it's the natural flavour of coffee. It's like, well, I don't like it. He chucks it down the drain next to me and sort of staring at me going, 
And then the next person comes up, and for some reason I'm standing at the bar for the next hour and a half going, talking to them. Start, ooh, can I have a coffee? Ooh, that's really good. What's that? Well, let me describe that. Ooh, this, this, this reminds me of wine tasting, and we're discussing wine. So like, how do you brew coffee at home? We have this big discussion about how you can start brewing better coffee at home. And it's like, so what else do you do? And it's like, so ended up like just improvising a cupping bowl with a few spoons I had in my bag and stuff like that. And they spent like the next half an hour sitting in a cupping bowl next to me going, ooh, and I'm, I'm getting this, and I'm getting this, and I'm getting this, and, and eventually, so what's the, what the bad coffee taste like? And I went, I taste that cupping bowl, and I was like, this about 40 minutes later, oh God. And I think you were talking about expectation, and I mean, there's the expectation guy walked up to me going, can I get coffee? And then spat it out because it tasted like a bowl of summer fruits. And then there was the next person who came up, didn't know what, they were expecting the same thing. And they walked up and they spent the next hour and a half, two hours engaging me in in-depth discussion about balance, acidity, and flavor, and walked away just going, thanks. And that's sort of, I think, a barrier for me as a customer. Yeah, I've had a, had a few occasions had the opportunity to work in a bar where I can engage customers for an hour. And most of the time, I, I can't. Um, but it's lovely when that happens, and this doesn't address that as much. This is sort of uh, if you have limited time or limited space, which you most of the time have. If you can engage the customer, then full on, give them everything you got, explain everything you do. That's great. I love that. I love that experience as a customer as well. But more I think, I think I'm sorry. I think it's interesting as well that the what Keith brings up about the cupping table and the actual drinking of coffee and how different that can be. And what we're writing on descriptions and what we presenting to customers in many ways are cupping table experiences, which are very different to the in many cases to the brewed coffee experience that they're going to get when they add some milk to it or you know they're, they're going to have sugar or, yeah, and all the other things so it's very difficult to you know that's the only tool i guess we have but it's not certainly not perfect to follow up the second thing um i think you can go a long way just if you can categorize your coffees in two or three categories and i've said this done i went i was in uh, los angeles last week that's where i had that show and why I've talked about intelligence in general, it's been, been, been on my mind for a while. Um, but handsome coffee roasters, I don't know if you know them, it's microfilms, they had divided their coffee into comfort and adventure. So if you come in, you ask for a cup of coffee, the question back is, well, would you like comfort or adventure? <laughs> <laughs> and it's great, sometimes you just want a cup of coffee that's what do you expect from a cup of coffee? And sometimes you want the... So what, just, okay, guy walks in and you can see him holding like a newspaper clipping and he's like, so this place does good coffee, what do you got? Would you give him comfort or adventure? Um, they ask him every time. Like, I, I guess I would. Where does adventure come on the pie chart? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's just the, the not coffee part, it's just bigger. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough question. I think if you're not interested, then I might just offer you comfort. Yeah. If I am in a position to choose, most times I'm not. Most times I have one coffee or two coffees, but they might both be one of the or the other. Um, I just like the way they they make that choice really simple. Yeah. You want something today that's what you expect. Yeah, exactly. Like I think well, in our own experience, we often found that. You would get people coming in that say, um, 
oh, they, you could tell that they've been told the code, but that's their friend at all, they read it or whatever. And they come in and say, oh, um, especially with filter coffee, they, they've had filter coffee in the, in the petrol station, and it was bad, so therefore it's all bad. Someone tells them it's good here, they go, okay. And they come in and say, all right, um, I want to try this filter coffee thing that you do. And what we used to do is that we would then go, we'd invariably give them something that was nice and tasty, just like, uh, like a Brazilian coffee that wasn't, nothing wrong with it, just the sweet taste of coffee. So comfortable. Yeah, comfortable, oh, exactly. And what would happen, people, people would go, yeah, that's nice. I don't know if it's worth walking all the way across town for. And then I found that giving them something that was like pushing the boat out a little bit, let's say, like wash your hair or something, would at least make them go, oh, okay, this, there's something different going on. And then we could say, oh, well, you know, if you want something a little safer, that's there as well. I think you prefer that next time if this is a bit too crazy, because it's not for everybody, and I accept that. They go, oh, yeah, well, and sometimes people would say, oh, yeah, I can understand this is it's, it's very interesting. I wouldn't drink it all the time, but maybe I'll try the next one. The more normal one next time. Whereas if you give them the normal one, say, you know the stuff that's better than that, and it's like crazy, and it tastes like mad stuff, but this with this trust me, even though this one seems really normal. So I think giving them the adventurous one is always a good a hook. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, questions? Uh, excuse me. Hello. I like your uh, English, it's very, very clear, so don't complain about uh, that you have it as a second language, it's all good. Um, but I do agree with complicated flavor profiles. Um, would you rather have on a bag of coffee the amount of gram you have to have in a double dose, how long it should take, and what the water temperature should be to get a certain flavor out that you think is very, very good without describing what it should taste like? It's an interesting question. I think that in order to, I think the chain, um, yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> I think I would prefer what I think is special about the coffee to come through in the label rather than the brew recipe. So I think it's really hard to communicate that and I think it's it's definitely a challenge, especially with espresso. Um, and brew recipe certainly has a place We spend a lot of money, and, and you spend a lot of money on, on good coffees, and you roast them, and you, you sort of have to tell that in some way. And so many people who buy coffee bags don't ask anyone about it. They just walk onto the shelf, get a bag, pay for it, and go. And we don't even we hardly see them. We have espresso customers that have been customers of the shop I've already now for 10 years. They come in, they buy the same coffee, and they go. And we have some coffees that we normally wouldn't have, but we have some regular customers that come in every week, buy the same coffee, doesn't want to hear anything, same coffee. And to those people, we need to communicate what we're doing as well. We need to, you know, make sure they understand that this is freshly roasted. This is coffee sourced directly. This is coffee that has a certain, this is sweet coffee. You don't need sugar and milk necessarily. Try it without first. Why do you need to communicate that to him if he's happy with the product that, <coughs> he's, that he's buying, that he's always bought, and that he wants that consistency that he has yesterday, today, and tomorrow? Why, because, why? because we won't be able to deliver that. He, he may uh, not know that there's something different out there. But I, 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 I kind of see where you're going with that one, and, and yeah, jumping in. But we, we can't deliver the same product every day. We're, we're, we're in a position where we try so much new things and we roast so lightly in Norway and we, we have coffees that are that we change all the time. And even if you like last year's India 
which is the most common. You might not like this one, or it will at least be a little bit different, and we need to communicate that. I'd like to just a little bit on the brew recipe part as well, and what you put on the label. I've kind of, I've always been um, um, very anti putting any brew recipes on. I think I'm mellowing with age because I'm agreeing with you, Rasmus. This is scary. <laughs> 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 But um, I think as soon as you put brew recipes on, you constrain what the consumer can do with that coffee because instantly they'll think, well, if I do it outside of this, that would be wrong. And there are no rights to brew recipes. They're, they're opinions. They're not facts. And uh, just as descriptors aren't facts as well. But brew recipes just limit people's um, comfortableness in, in, in uh, experimenting and playing. And um, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. This is your field of expertise, it's much more than mine. No, no. <laughs> you work with the homework, it's much more than mine. Uh, I really like it. It's good. Um, that was it. <laughs> um, uh, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but I will. Uh, can you give us a good coffee descriptor? A, you know, how you would like to see the label? Um, I try to steal sunshine or strawberries dipped in kale. <laughs> I try to, uh, to touch on it a little bit. Um, I think as, as long as you can easily identify that descriptor and you can easily explain what it means. So it's more a case of descriptors being accurate and accessible than them not being overly flowery or um, indecipherable. My personal preference would be if it was less feelings involved. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, again, it's it's also it's it's not necessarily bad that it is a sales pitch, but it's it just needs to deliver what it says. Sure. That's the most important thing. I mean, so th th there's obviously very very good reasons why we have to put um, sometimes emotive or. or Flowery descriptors on bags because I think as these are products that we're trying to sell. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. And how how can we expect the customer to differentiate between our bag of coffee on the shelf versus someone else's? Um, and it's like, well, if they have the descriptor, we don't. Yeah, I think you know anecdotal market research as well is that those coffees with the emotive ones in there sell much better. They're much stronger. There's much more, and people are more passionate about them and more impassioned by them um, when you put something on that you know and I, and I agree they should be they should be understandable so it should be something that most people have tried um, I saw a descriptor on a bag not so long back and I had to go and look what it was and then I had to go and try and find it to taste it because I, I was like well, what does that taste and it, the coffee didn't taste like it I was really disappointed but it's um, yeah, using words that people understand and consumers can understand is, is very important yeah and back to the meet expectations point I think it's it's really about being seen as a pretentious business and being seen as bullshitters if that's okay to say on the internet well, we'll, we'll believe it. There's less um, things on the internet on here. <laughs> that might be true. Your history uh, says so too. We, we tend to. I mean, there's a lot of not very funny jokes about people scrapping flavor. How they'll say asphalt or 
forces you're in and use them as descriptors. And I think that one of the most important things we can do is to try to be a little bit less enthusiastic about things in general. <laughs> and and the mind-blowing tweets is, is part of that, definitely, but that's, again, mostly industry, I think. I don't know. I don't think any customers follow my tweets, but um, you shouldn't do they're rarely fun. <laughs> it's um, yeah. I think you should definitely show your enthusiasm for that coffee, but maybe not in the same sentence as you describe how it tastes. That makes Cass. sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. I really enjoyed that. It was fantastic. I don't know really how to phrase this question, but uh, just related to tea slightly. So in tea, when we're talking about, say, uh, when we talk about tea, we'll say this is from Assam, or this is from Darjeeling. And if it's from Assam, then you expect it to be malty and you know, sweet and caramelly. If it's from Darjeeling, you'll expect it to be astringent and, and floral. You know, you drag it well with your chest at the... Um, so instead of trying to describe every single different coffee that comes out, can't, uh, can't you go by region or process and method and say, this is from this region in Kenya, and you all know that it should taste, you all should know what it should taste like. And I know there's variables, you know, when it changes year to year, but uh, to put the focus on region, to educate people about the region, all the processing methods, or whatever's more important in coffee, um, rather than trying to explain every single coffee one by one. Boy, I wish we were there. <laughs> I don't know it's, if it's possible, it's, but we yeah, do it. It, it is. It is absolutely possible, and I hope we get there someday. But it's we're we're still trying to communicate what coffees are, and coffees are still trying to find out find out what they are. In many cases, so. nice. we're back. We disagree again. <laughs> Just, we're back. <laughs> um, I, I was having a conversation with Gwilym yesterday, talking about a pacamara that was naturally processed from Nicaragua. Now, this pacamara I've, I've tasted before. I have an expectation of what this pacamara should taste like. So this year they've changed the process. What they used to do was they would rake it every two hours, so they'd go and rake the cherries, turn them over, make sure they were drying evenly, and go back. This year, they decided they were gonna rake it every hour. It completely changed the way that the cup tasted. And to back that up, one of the guys that, that told everybody to turn his every hour, apart from one old guy that nobody really spoke to, and he'd done it every two hours. So we cut them side by side, same day's pickings, same process, same region, same farm, just turned every two hours and was completely different as a cup. So when we talk about processing and regions trying to homogenize it, there's so many different flavor characteristics produced from the little incidental details during the processing that we can't possibly ever have an Assam or a, you know, a Darjeeling that's from a region, it just, it isn't gonna work for me. <laughs> There's no facts, still. You just blew my mind. Next question. <laughs> okay, down the back. Back around. Since you're kind of talking about communication, I think communication is a two-way thing, and particularly as a barista, if you're a barista, you're standing at the bar and you see somebody walking up, you're 
you're having a conversation with them, even if it's a short conversation, or just they're walking up and you're judging, is that person, they want to hear lots of, of detail, they want me to talk about the subtle flavours, or actually are they somebody who, who is only at that moment ready to hear, yeah, it's a nice tasty coffee, you'll like it, or, or, or whatever. And that requires skills from that barista to, to judge what's judge the people. Is there any way to be get better at doing that? Or is it just experience? Good question. Did you see Charles Babinski's presentation in the Southwestern Regional? You should watch his national, you will love it. It's, uh, he basically sets up a, a competition table where he divides it in two, and he treats two of the judges as they're interested and want to know more about coffee and extraction percentage, and shows them all the nerdy brain stuff. And to the other judges, he just says, I'll be with you in a moment, and it goes, oh, 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 extraction, blah, blah, blah. and he goes back, I'm going to give you a really delicious cappuccino. <laughs> and he walks away. It's really interesting. I think, um, it's one of the harder questions, and I am, I've worked as a barista for almost 10 years, and I still make that mistake every day. So, I guess most of the time I make it the wrong way, like I, someone will be interested no more and I will not see it and move on to the next customer, which is even worse. But um, I guess I see service as my trade, and coffee just as something that happens to be a product. So it's more important for me to make everyone feel comfortable and happy than to educate. But that's certainly a flaw when they want to know more. And I know there have been situations where I haven't done that. It's good enough. It's, I can't really tell you anything else. So if they're looking at something extra long or asking more questions than usual, that's it, sorry. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Rasmus, I'll